But like I told the kids this morning, this morning we have a guest. This morning, I'm a farmer. That's what my book says. My book says that I'm a farmer. I'm a farmer from the little small town of Tekoa. I'm a farmer of sheep and a farmer of sycamore figs. So I'm a, I'm a fig grower, I'm a sheep herder, I'm a farmer. I'm just a farmer. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. Who am I to speak for God? And yet God comes to me and God says, go. Go from your little town of Tekoa in the kingdom of Judah and go north to, to Israel. I want you to speak a word there for me. I said, Lord, who am I? I'm just a farmer. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I am just a farmer. But God says, go. So what do you do? You go. So I, 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 I pack up. I saddle up. I head north. Go to the, the town of Bethel. Bethel, in, in, it's one of the religious centers in that breakaway kingdom of Israel just to our north. Now, now I need to speak to these people, but God also tells me what to say because he's made me his prophet. God tells me how to say it. God has a, has a fantastic way of communicating things. And he starts out in a way, he sends me to talk to Israel, but first he has me talk about other people. He has me speak judgment but judgment against other people. He has me speak to them about how God's going to judge the sins of the people around them, even those that have hurt them. And God has noticed, and God is going to judge them. And so because that's what God tells me, that's where I start. I start like this. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath against them. Because they threshed Gilead with an, Gilead of Israel with an with a iron sledge. So I will send others who will ruin them. For three sins of Gaza, the Philistines, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath against them, says the Lord. Because they captured whole villages of Israel and sold them to the Edomites. So I will not turn back my wrath against these Philistines. I will ruin them until not one of them is left. For three sins of Tyre, even for four. And the crowd was loving it by this time. They wanted more. For three sins of Edom, even for four. For three sins of of Ammon, even for four. For three sins of of Moab, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath, says the Lord. And by this time, my new friends in, in, in Israel, they were saying, yeah, amen, preach it, give us more. And so I did. I said, all right. Now I spoke against their favorite neighbor to hate, my own country, Judah. God also spoke against us for three sins of Judah, even for four. I will not hold back my wrath, says the Lord. Why? Because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not walked in his ways. Why? Because they have been deceived and they have been led astray by false gods that are not gods. And my new friends in Israel, they said, yeah, that's right. Amen. Preach it. I said, okay. For three sins of Israel, you, 
even for four. I will not hold back my wrath, says the Lord. Did they not hear what I just said about Judah? They were clapping and cheering and applauding. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not withhold my wrath. Why? Because Israel sells the righteous for, for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Israel tramples on the heads of the poor as the dust of the ground and denies justice to the oppressed. You see, they too had left the Lord's ways. They too did not walk in his ways. Israel, you of all people have been chosen by God. You were, you were, you were redeemed by God up out of Egypt and yet you have chosen to walk in your own ways instead. You have not followed him. You have been led astray. You have followed those things that are not God's. The Lord told me, how can two walk together except they be agreed? How can two walk together except they be agreed and you do not agree with God? How is it that you could pretend to walk in his ways? You walk in your own ways, not after the God of Israel. You see, Israel had fallen into a a common trap. Israel had traded material prosperity for the inheritance and relationship with God that he had given them. They had traded that away. Israel worshipped the Baals because they thought that the Baals, these false gods, would send them the rains that would give them the fertility for their crops and for their profit. In fact, they, in that worship, they practiced immorality because they thought that in the practice of that immorality, that, that God would send fertility then upon the land and their harvest would be bigger. So what ha- happened as a result is this very land this, this very land where the glory and the righteousness of God should have been most evident, that very land was instead a place that was filled with immorality and with selfish materialism. Am I still talking about Israel? That sounds too, that sounds too familiar. And so... And so the Lord says, the Lord, the Lord reasoned with him. He, he, the whole reason that God had me go on that, on that uh, geography of judgment, that circle around of the other nations before I got to Israel, the reason he had me do that, because the whole problem was Israel was chosen to be different. Judah and Israel were called out by God to be different, and yet the lifestyle of Israel was no different than the the peoples who lived around us that didn't even know the Lord. There was no noticeable difference between us and them. We followed the same goals. We pursued the same ambitions. We served ourselves. We sought our fulfillment, our satisfaction in the same ways. God reasoned with them, but sometimes a little sarcastically. He said, go ahead, go to Gilgal. Go ahead, go to your idols at Bethel. Go ahead. How has that been working for you? The Lord says, I sent fire, and I sent drought, and I sent famine, and I sent plagues of locusts, and still, still, you did not return to me. You hear God's heart there? Over and over, he inflicts even pain upon his people because he wants to press them back to him. And yet they would not. So God gave me 
an object lesson. He gave me a few object lessons. God, God, God pressed upon me ways that I could communicate what was in front of these people, what they were facing. One of those was a plumb line. I think I've got one here. The Lord stood there next to a wall in a vision he gave me. And the Lord showed me a plumb line. There he's standing with a wall that he's just built and, and, this, and this plumb line. What a plumb line is, a, a farmer uses a plumb line. You use it when you're, when you're setting fence posts. You want to make sure that the fence post is straight and true. You use a plumb line when you're setting up a wall. You want to make sure that it's straight. It's not leaning over and going to fall. And the Lord says to me, Amos, what do you see? And I say, well, I see a plumb line. And the Lord said, that's right. I am going to set a plumb line in the midst of my people. I'm going to set a plumb line in the midst of my people, and it's going to show that my people are not straight and true. My people are not walking according to my ways. My people have wandered. They're going their own way, and like a crooked wall, they are going to have to be taken down and rebuilt again. The Lord gave me another object lesson. This is the one I gave with the kids. The Lord gave me an object lesson. He set before me a basket of ripe summer fruit. And he said, Amos... What do you see? I said, well, now I'm a farmer. I know this one. I said, that's a basket of ripe summer fruit. Yes, sirree, that's what that is. That is a basket of ripe fruit. And the Lord says, that's right. Amos, things are just like they look. It's that bad. My people are a basket of ripe fruit. What the Lord says, my, the time is ripe for my people Israel. The time is ripe for judgment. It didn't come before, and it's not going to be later. The time is ripe. The time is now. The Lord is going to judge his people. In that day, declares the Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many bodies everywhere. Silence. Wow. It wasn't a, it wasn't a pretty picture. Many bodies everywhere. Silence. Bodies flung all around. The Lord was especially against those who advance themselves on the backs of others, on the burden of others, by, by taking advantage of others. They advance themselves at the cost of others. They don't care about worshiping the Lord even. They gather together with the others, but they don't care about worshiping the Lord. The Lord said it this way. These are the people who say, when will the new moon celebrations be over so that we may sell grain? And when is the Sabbath going to be ended so the shops can open and we again can market our wheat? You see, they would gather with the people for worship. They would go through the motions and they would fit in with the crowd, but their hearts weren't in it. No, their hearts were in their next advance. Their hearts were in their next scheme. Their hearts were in how they were going to make a profit at the cost of others. You see, they, they even showed up at worship, got a good reputation, but that was for their own gain. But when would the Sabbath be over? Why, why was it so hard for them? Why was it so hard to figure that 
we need to instead arrange and order and center our lives around the worship of God rather than fitting it in in places where it's convenient. And so the Lord had had enough. He, be, he, he spoke further against the people. They have all kinds of ways. I, I mentioned the marketing that they were drawn to and how they would sell, why they were in a hurry to open the doors again. Because the Lord says they're skimping the measure, they're boosting the price, they're cheating with dishonest scales. All of these things that, that our Lord and His law had told us not to do. They're skimping the measure. Well, well, you've seen that too, haven't you? What used to be a half gallon, it's now one and a half quarts. That, 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 that drug that you like so well every morning used to be sold in a one-pound bag. Now the similar bag is, I don't know if you knew, but it's only 12 ounces. Skimping the measure, boosting the price, and, and even selling the sweepings along with the wheat. Well, go ahead, sell lower quality, add that in too. After all, what's a poor person going to do? They're going to have to go to the shop. They're going to have to buy what's there. They're going to have to take it home, and they really have nothing they can do about it. The rich will get richer. The poor will get poorer. They, were, they are buying the needy, the Lord says, for a pair of sandals. What does that mean? Buying the needy for a pair of sandals. In Israel, all the way back to when God gave us our law, and this is pictured even in God's promise to Abraham. When God gave us our law, he said, if you will walk with me in this land, then every place in the land your foot touches will belong to you. And so the way that you would claim your inheritance, the way that you would claim your properties, you would walk around in it. And so when it came time to sell some land, when it came time to sell a house and some land, the way you would do that is you would take your sandal, which had walked on that land, and you would give it to another. What does this mean to buy the needy for a pair of sandals? Well, they were stealing the land of the poor. They were stealing the land of those who, who could not defend themselves. It might look something like this. The prices keep going up and up. There's, a, there's an artificial bubble, and yet that's the price. And so, and so someone is taken out, and, they're, and they're, they're convinced this is a good price. Buy this land. Buy this house at a price that is higher than they want to pay, but they've been convinced that that's, the, that that's the amount of a house that they need, and so they buy it. A few years down the line, there's an adjustable rate mortgage. And a few years down the line, that rate ramps up, doesn't it? Pretty soon, the price per each month is more than they can pay. They thought by this time, maybe they'd be making more. They thought by this time that maybe they could have sold that house to somebody else at a profit because prices kept going up and up and up. And now they're stuck and they're stuck and they're stuck. And now the loan can be called back in. And they lose the house. Well, is the loan any good now? Is anybody going to get their money back? Well, the person that loaned them the money, they don't care because they loaned that, they sold that loan to somebody else. And they sold that loan to somebody else. And they sold it to somebody else. Everybody making money all along the way. Except the person who lost their house and the person who's left holding that paper somewhere down the line who thought they would profit too. Selling even the needy for a pair of sandals. Why do we think we can get away with this? You see, it's not just Israel that's accountable. All of us are accountable for God. Yes, God gave Israel that land, but what, who of us, which of us, any of us, what do you have that you did not receive? 
What, did you, what, what do you have really that God has not granted to you? And we're accountable for how we use that, how we hold that in open hands before him. Why do we seek to gain our own advantage, to, to grab more for ourselves at the cost of somebody else, hopefully somebody we won't know, hopefully somebody we won't see, unless maybe it's when you sell a used car. I think it's, it's arrogance and ignorance. It's our arrogance that we think we are more important than somebody else, And it's our ignorance that we would declare that we ourselves are not going to be held accountable by God. And yet the Lord said this. The Lord has sworn by the arrogance of Jacob, I will never forget anything that they have done. Think about that for a moment. When God says, I will never forget anything that they have done. That's a scary thought. And yet, that, 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 that speaks to how God remembers. That speaks to the thoroughness of how God judges. I will never forget anything that they have done. No, the time is right. The time is now. And yet, God through another prophet later, speaking to the Hebrew people, God spoke about his forgiveness. He used similar terms. When one has received God's forgiveness, you know what he said? When God forgives their sins and their guilt, I will remember no more. The same God who said their sin and their guilt, I will never forget, is the God who says their sin and their guilt, I will remember no more. That's what we need. That's what we want. More than anything else, that was my message judgment was coming. Judgment was coming upon these people and they needed to hear it. See, God says, will not the land tremble for this, how you have lived within it? Will not the land tremble and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink like the river of Egypt. Think of the picture. God has said, like a flood from the Nile, Waters rush up and sweep away everything in its path. God is saying, I am going to clear the decks. I will not endure this forever. The time is ripe. I will clear the decks. I will wipe it all away. Everything that you have built on the backs of advantage over others. It's all going away. That was God's message. He, he, he painted a picture of how you would know when God's judgment was coming. This is what he said. He said it very specifically, in that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious feasts into mourning and all of your singing into weeping. I will make that time like the morning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. Just, just a few months after I spoke those words for for the Lord, just a few months later, there was a total eclipse of the sun. Can you imagine the panic? The sky goes dark right in the middle of the day, right? And people are thinking, is this it? This is just what that prophet said. Oh, why didn't we listen? And it wasn't yet. It was another one of those warnings. It was another one of those, this really can happen, folks. It already had happened, in fact. 
way back in Egypt that it happened. Remember, one of those plagues that God used to bring us out, one of those plagues was that the sun grew dark. There was a darkness over the land so thick you could, you could touch it. And there was the death of the firstborn. And out of that judgment, God redeemed us out and set us in a new land and gave us a new life. Yeah. And God has also said that at the end of the age, when he brings all the world to judgment, when God's cataclysmic judgment falls not merely on Israel, not on Edom and and Tyre, but on all the earth, when that happens, there's seals that are going to be broken. And one of those seals is a sign of darkness. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the, the stars will fall from the sky like, like sycamore figs, it says. I knew it. I got that picture. And it's going to be dark. When God judged, it was dark. When God will judge, it will be dark. But wait. I didn't know it yet. I didn't know all that I was saying. But you know, this has happened. This has happened. We are not merely waiting for the day when it will. This has already occurred. On a day, at the very center of history, just outside Jerusalem, while a man was hung out to die on a torturous cross, at exactly noon, the sky grew dark. And it stayed dark for three hours while he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And judgment fell on the sun. In the midst of a Passover feast when everybody should be celebrating, those who knew what was going on instead were turned to mourning. Mourning as for an only son, even the Son of God. What God is saying, what God was demonstrating is that judgment that he has declared, that judgment that is coming on the whole earth has already fallen upon his son. It's already happened. I didn't know it at the time, but it's already occurred. And we can, we can in fact hide behind. We can hide in that rescue where God says, if you will accept the judgment of your guilt and your sin in the place of my son, my judgment will not fall on you. That is enough. That's sufficient. That's where his forgiveness is. That's where he then says their sin and their guilt, I'll remember no more. God's judgment is still coming, but there is God's rescue. I could sum up my message to Israel this way. I would sum it up this way. Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. Surely the eyes of the Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. My righteous character, God says, requires that I must judge sin. This cannot go on indefinitely. Judgment has to come because that's the character of God. I will destroy it from the face of the earth, yet I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. You see what he's saying? Even in the midst of his declaration of judgment, God is saying there's room for mercy. 
there's room for rescue, and that's why he sent me. That's why he sent you. We are easily caught up in the sins of Israel. We are easily caught up in the sins of the society around us. It's easily that, that God's people resemble more the people around them that don't know God than they resemble the character of God in those people's myths, and yet that's what we're called to. I'm just a farmer. I'm just Amos, a herdsman from Tekoa, a farmer of sycamore figs. I'm not anybody special, except God sent me. Like God sent you. God sent me, God sent you to be his messengers because while his hand is stretched out towards judgment, it's being held waiting to give mercy. Oh yeah, his eye is on the sinful kingdom. And yet, and yet, not all will be destroyed. My role as Amos, the sheep herder from Tekoa, farmer of sycamore figs, was to go to a people who didn't really like me and agree with them about the sin around them that they saw so that I could also speak to them about their own sin and rebellion and need for God's rescue. Because while judgment had to come, there was still room. Would you, would you join me there? Would you join me in maybe receiving God's rescue? Would you join me in telling God's rescue. I want to ask us now, just to ponder, there's really two pieces here that we cannot miss. One of them is, God has rescued. And just as we, as we, as we go before the Lord in prayer, I want to put two things before us. If you would say yes, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, yes, Lord, I have wandered. I've been deceived. I've been looking for satisfaction in other things. I've been, I've been more worried about myself than how I glorify God. I've been gathering my own needs even the expen at the expense of others. If you would admit that before the Lord alone, then would you just raise your hand now? No one else will, will see. Just slip your hand up that we can pray together. If you would say, you know, I don't know if I have received God's rescue. I know I want things for me in my way, and I don't know that I care about God's way at all. I don't want his judgment. I instead want his rescue. Would you raise your hand that we could pray for you? Lord, Lord, you know the hearts here this morning. You know that these are your people. They've gathered together in worship to you. Lord, then, would you receive that worship? And Father, would you receive worship in our lives? Would you help us, Father, to indeed present ourselves to you as, as agents and messengers of your mercy to others? Father, to come alongside them in the ways that you direct that they also might know your forgiveness. And Father, for one here this morning that needs that forgiveness themselves. Lord, you know their heart. You know their need. 
You know everything that they have done, and yet you have said that sin and that guilt you will remember no more because of Jesus, your son, who also died for them. Oh, Lord, show them to believe and trust in what you did in Jesus through them. We pray it together in Jesus' name and all